It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. We're excited to have two, as always, two fantastic guests lined up for everybody to, to we can talk to, we can hear from them, and hopefully learn from them today. And as it turns out, where it's a bit of a, a bit of a one of those weird sort of scheduling things where sort of a coincidence happened, and we have two Marys on as guests today. They, and as coincidence would have, they don't even spell their names the same way. But we do have two Marys on. We'll talk more about that here shortly. You know, the reason for the show is we love to have conversations to really get into the minds of what uh, leaders are thinking, uh, what our HR folks are thinking, uh, what our entrepreneurs thinking about. So that we can, you know, adjust our own trajectories. Think about what books we should be reading and what we, maybe what our company isn't thinking about that we should be thinking about. And it's been so many wonderful stories over the what, five six years we've been doing this show. Uh, I turned a lot of them into my first book called The Power of Company Culture. I'd love to have you check that out if you're uh, looking for another book to, to to check out here this year. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books online. Now, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And many of you come in live, and we appreciate you being here live, but most of you actually come in after the show has been recorded and get us through a, as a podcast, whether it's on talenttalkradio.com, maybe you subscribe to us on iTunes or iHeartRadio or Stitcher, wherever you find us, a big thank you for being a part of the show, remembering to subscribe and then come back and check for shows as they're posted. So this show will be there up in a couple of weeks once we turn it into that podcast and you can go right now and then listen to any of the other guests that we've had over the last five, six years. So we do love to, uh, to keep this kind of, you know, in multiple platforms here. So we live tweet a lot of the best comments, the kind of the big headlines, the big things that our guests talk about, or maybe I might even mention as well as links to their profiles or books they've suggested. So if you want to be on Twitter and, and see what we've talked about, you can go to there right now and follow at people g2 or you can follow the hashtag talent talk my social media coordinator and uh t- talent talk uh, scheduler angela does an awesome job of getting those in there and we'll feed them in and if there's any questions you have for me or our guests you can ask them live and she'll let me know right away so okay enough teasing about who's coming up let's talk about who's on the show as i mentioned we have two marys today my first mary will be mary with a y mary g Rush- russell president and founder of the Grady Group, a human resources company. And then after the uh, commercial break, we'll bring in Mary with an I, Mary Ryan, CEO and founder of Advancing Wellness. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in my first Mary. Mary Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. 
Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? What is it that you're doing? What is your company doing? And what's important for us to know to understand you better for our conversation today? Sure, I'll be glad to. Well, I've been in human resources for over 25 years, and though I can handle many facets of the human resources arena from startup HR operations to auditing an existing one, I'm really at my best when dealing with employee issues and investigating claims of discrimination or harassment. I consider myself a critical thinker who can conceptualize, analyze, and evaluate information to draw a conclusion based on those claims. I am very comfortable training programs for my clients, and I'm also also a published author. So that's a little bit about me. Well, that's a lot, and we could probably talk for days about all of that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to keep it try to keep it uh, concise. But you know, maybe what influences inspired you to pursue the position that you're in now as a leader? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Over the years, I have worked with some amazing people. And I never thought I would be in leadership. I honestly thought I would be a person who would be working with individuals who had hearing impairments. But as I worked with various people over the years, I found out that this was really where I wanted to go. And I was very inspired by their education, the things that they've taught me over the years. And I thought that this was something I could do. So I just stepped up and got myself into leadership. That's great. Well, you know, we love to talk about, you know, books and quotes and people that inspire us. And for a lot of our guests, it's it, it, a lot of our listeners, it's the guests that we have on that's the person that's right. inspiring them. You know, maybe if you, if you have a favorite quote about leadership, maybe you could tell us what that is and maybe how it's affects your leadership style. Years ago, I worked for a company then called Church's Fried Chicken. And I worked in their management development center in Schaumburg, Illinois. I'm not exactly sure if it's still there, but that's where I worked. And they had a grand staircase when you walked up into the management development center. On the wall were inscribed words by the then founder of Church's Chicken, George W. Church. And he said this, In your store lies your own future. In your people lies your own strengths and weaknesses. Cultivate them, train them, nurture, guide, and care for them. There is no choice. Make your people successful or they will make you a failure. I have carried that with me over the years, and I was in my 20s when I first read that. I'm not going to tell you where I am now in terms of age. But I have kept that over the years with me, and I tried to learn by those words. And I think what stood out to me was make your people successful or they will make you a failure. And that's the quote that I've lived by over the years. Well, that's such a – I really love that story. I've been to Schaumburg. I've been by that building that you're talking about. I've never been in or saw the staircase, but I – had an immediate connection to driving down the street in that uh, town, not too far outside of Chicago, I believe. It is, and, right uh, outside of Chicago. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a great story. And it's, it's amazing how I think uh, early in our careers, we will just come across some bit of wisdom, some quote, some something somebody said, a book we read, whatever it may be. And it just sticks with us enough uh, that it doesn't ever want to let go. 
And and I think that's in part maybe a little bit why we do this show. We hope that somebody gets something, some little nugget, something that they can, you know, kind of tuck in their pocket and, and use as a resource to help guide them, you know, going forward. And it sounds like that really guided you and that, uh, you know, that last little piece, I think it's a, maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but, you know, it, it's not the nicest little part, right, that if you don't help your people that they may end up taking you down, right? And that, that's kind of scary to think about, but it, it kind of is the real world that if, I guess, if employees don't think that you're motivated to help them, if you're not providing them clear guidance on how they can succeed and what's expected of them, you're going to have, a, a you know, a riot on your hands, right? Well, I don't know about a riot, but I am going to say <laughs> that if your people see that you're doing your best to help them, they in return will help you. And right. that's how I interpreted that. And I just thought it was a beautiful message and it just stuck with me. It really yeah. stuck with me. And I love it. And I use that quote all the time when I'm out, either speaking to different people or if I have a message to give on motivation, that message I incorporate in my presentation. Yeah, and I and I I do love it. And you know, it's interesting. I've had organizations bring me in at different times to help them with their culture, or maybe they're struggling with something in particular. And often people say, "Well, maybe we, we need to replace some people. Maybe we need to get rid of this division and start again." Or you know, there's sort of these things like this. And right, you know, and and, and I often I think your quote that quote really helps define what I think my approach is. Which is it's not the people. It's the process, it's the culture, it's how you're treating them. It's this, you know, there, there might be one bad apple in there. Fine, you can go find that person. But in general, if the people are floundering, if they're, if they're not meeting the expectations of what you think they should be, there's probably some larger issue uh, with management right. or culture or things like that that they need so they can be successful, right? Exactly, exactly. I remember when I worked with a prior company, I was told that one particular individual was a problem child. And instead of getting rid of this individual, what I did was found out what her strengths were. I Mm -hmm. utilized her strengths in the office, and she became one of my best employees. So that's an example of making your people successful. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I remember in my some early jobs, uh, I remember had people tell me, well, you don't want to mess with that person. You know, they'll they, they can really be difficult. And I, and I learned that that was often code for that person speaks their mind. That person mm-hmm. tells you what they really <laughs> think. And I was like, I love that person. I mean, I might always mm-hmm. agree with them, but I'm like, they actually tell me what they think. I, mean, I don't have to worry that they're not really communicating with me like that those people were easy for me to deal with because it there was no tricks there was no games there was no you know hiding what what they really thought and so uh, i i learned pretty early on that, <laughs> that was a good thing <laughs> yeah um, it can you know. be it absolutely can be and you learn so much from people like that yeah you really and do I, and i i learned also i had to be careful about because i do speak my mind and I do share what I have to think, even if it's not my place or the right time. But I learned also <laughs> to, you know, tweak it a little bit and make sure I had a little softened it up or was a little bit more diplomatic. Uh, I had to you know, take some care into how I delivered that that message. And I think that was maybe what that some of those people hadn't thought about doing. So but exactly. Uh, so, you know, what kind of traits do you believe a leader really should have 
today. And I don't know if that's different than maybe those traits were 20 years ago or when it, whenever you started your career. Um, but what, what, are, what are today's leaders really need to have as traits to be successful? Well, I do believe that I read the book Emotional Intelligence, and that's mm-hmm. today. I don't think leaders then had that type of skill set or mindset. But I think emotional intelligence is one and the ability to make tough decisions that they know others won't like. But what's important is when they make those tough decisions that are in the best interest of the company, they are doing so because of that reason alone. A leader won't have everyone agree with him or her all the time. So when they can make the tough decisions and move forward, then they, I believe, are a successful leader. There are some leaders who feel that they need to keep the friendships going. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But at the same time, they jeopardize the direction of the company. And there are people that are paying attention to that. So I think those are the two traits that a true leader needs to have in his role his or her role. Yeah, yeah, those are those are certainly great. You know, and we have, I, I guess sometimes maybe there's a classification, right? We have who we, we might view as a CEO or a senior leader, someone on that, in the, in the top two or three people or things like that. And then we have our, you know, our leaders, our, our, our big, maybe our sales leader, our marketing leader, our customer service leader. We have these mm-hmm. very key people. And then, then we go down on the level and we probably have our middle managers or our supervisors, um, mm-hmm. which who I think have some of the hardest jobs in the organization to to try to they're kind of getting squished on both ends, right? Uh, with, Absolutely. You know, so what and what it, methods do they implement? You know, what 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 how, how do they really maybe enhance their staff skills, like you said, to take care of their people and help their people be successful, and also make sure that they can help themselves get to that next level. Well, I think. One of the things that any leader needs to do is develop their people that are under them. And you're right. It's that lower level person that has the toughest job. During the pandemic, my sister made a comment to me that I thought was so accurate. She said, the people who are at work right now, the hourly worker in the restaurant selling us burgers and fries, they're essential. But the CEO is at home resting and enjoying television and his family. They are non-essential because the organization can work with that essential employee who's that bottom line worker. And we need to respect that. So we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to develop that individual. So what I did as an executive in HR, I would have my staff participate in meetings that involved outside brokers, outside executives, so that they would understand what was going on. But most importantly, they would become comfortable speaking to individuals at that level. They would understand that. And that's important to be able to do, to feel comfortable, to have a conversation, share their thoughts and opinions, about a process with an individual at that level. So I engaged them in those meetings. I never left them out. And I think that's an important point when ensuring 
or to ensure that your employees are developed and trained, getting them involved. Well, and, and so the development and training part is there, but you've also done some other really key things there. You've, you've added in transparency so people know what's going on. They're hearing it from, mm-hmm. right, from the horse's mouth, right? They're not getting mm-hmm. some, you know, summary that maybe you've provided them. Mm-hmm. They're being they're being heard, right? So the organization is practicing great listening and, and, and skills around making sure that they, you're hearing from every employee, right? And that they're able to hear from the senior people who are maybe having to make some of these tough choices. So I, I, those are two of the seven pillars that I really believe that listening and transparency make a great company culture. And so you've demonstrated two of those just in that single act, that single thing that you did by bringing those people into those, those key conversations. I think that's just... Spectacular. And it really helped them with their confidence when they were, because a lot of staff will say, oh, I'm not good at talking to the CEO, or I'm a little scared with talking to the CFO. But if they're sitting in a meeting and understanding what these individuals do, and they're hearing the conversations, and they're contributing to the conversations as it relates to their role in the workplace, it helps them build their confidence, and they can do that. So that's a development piece. And I was really proud of my staff for being able to step up and step in and get those jobs done. And when I was absent, I would say, okay, I need you to sit in for me because I won't be able to be present. And they would do that and they would do that comfortably and report back to me. Right. Right. So I think that's an important trait that a leader should have, developing their staff. And I think that often leaders forget that, you know, we, 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 we practice a lot of things in our lives. We, we might practice a, a musical instrument. We might practice a sport. We might practice, uh, we might, you know, go to learn something, how, how to be more patient. Or we might, you know, we do all of these things to practice things, to be better at them. And it's a pretty mm-hmm. normal way for us to approach our lives. And yet, when it comes to being a leader, when it comes to being in a group or a team, we don't ever practice that. It's always you're you're thrown in there live. It's sink or swim, and mm-hmm. I, and I and I find that people are very uh, cautious. That they they're scared on how to do it. They don't know what's expected of them, and they can be really great if they know what's expected of them. But we don't often stop and say, "Now, here's how our meetings work, and here's what we do, and here's what you can expect." Uh, we kind of just throw them in there to figure it out and. We have actually implemented a pretty regular process where at minimum once a month, we have a fake meeting, we have a practice meeting where we mm-hmm. talk, talk about a fake topic. We call it a tsunami planning meeting. So it's what if this big thing happened, you know, and it's an opportunity for us to talk about an imaginary topic, show that we're going to have psychological safety, demonstrate to new people how, how we operate in meetings. And, but it's practice. Right. On, on what what is the behaviors? How is that? We, we, we actually want people to argue with us. We actually want them to disagree. So we have to practice that. So they'll do it when it's the real deal. Um, so it sounds like that's a little bit of what you're introducing them to. And it's something I always ask leaders to think about is how do you help people practice the skills that you want them to have? But it doesn't require them to fail in a real life setting. We actually call that in an organization that I belong to. Toastmasters International is called mm-hmm. high performance leadership. You actually put them in a setting where they have an opportunity to practice these skills before they actually get into those skills. So you and I are on the same page about that. I like that idea, but it's high performance leadership. Yes. Right. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had people that told me I would never want to be a leader. I never want to be in charge of people. And then we showed them how it worked, right? We had them practice it. And then we gave them small opportunities to, to do smaller things without ever, you know, I think sometimes people don't want to be leaders because, or they don't want to try being a leader because they're afraid if they're good at it, you're going to suddenly hand them way too much. Mm-hmm. To do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want to go from zero to 100. And instead you can maybe ask, well, just how about you run this little team, this little project? And you let them practice, let them try, let them get stretch their wings. And some people say, that's enough for me. I, I, know, I know I'm right. I know I don't want to supervise people. But most of the time for me, it's been the opposite where people go, you know, that wasn't so bad. I kind of like that. You know, mm-hmm. that was really great. And I would like to do another project mm-hmm. and another. Next thing you know, they want to be considered for a leadership position. But that's practice. That's Or in your, your framing, it's high performance management, right? That's a, a, having that opportunity to do that, which is just, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to make another point here. I, I want to make right. sure that I'm clear to your, your listening audience that executives are essential. And she was putting it in the perspective of what was happening during the pandemic, who was at work and who was not at work. But everyone at work, of course, is essential. So I want to make sure I clear that up. Oh, well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> but I, I, I understood what you meant. And as a CEO, I didn't take offense. So uh, Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> No problem. No problem. Well, is there something you think that we we've sort of talked about leadership? We've talked about the CEOs. We've talked about the supervisors. Maybe now we should, given your expertise, talk a little bit about, you know, the role of human resources. And are there things that you think we should change about their role? And, and what would that be? You know, it's interesting that this this question came up. And I have thought about this. And when I take a look at the HR area, It's a really tough position to be in. And if you think about what's happening over the past few years regarding this onslaught of claims of sexual harassment, I was watching a news show once, and one of the guests made a comment. She actually asked the question, where was HR in this? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And at the end of the day, human resources professionals recognize that we really can't do much about the Harvey Weinsteins or the Roger Ailes of the world. We can take the information, we can present it to our management team for them to move forward, but if they don't, there's not much we can really do about it. But what I think should change is CEOs of organizations, if they're not already doing this, and some are, should make sure that they have a really strong connection with that senior executive in the human resources department. So when an employee comes forward and says that a key executive in the organization has committed this act of harassment or discrimination, that the CEO and HR are talking about it and taking measures to correct it. It is a lot more costly to an organization to do nothing than it is for them to take immediate action to correct the problem. And in many cases, these issues came to surface regarding sexual harassment. Just an onslaught of issues came to surface because no one took action. And I think 
that would be the thing that I would change, making sure that the key HR professional is partnering with the CEO to deal with that issue immediately. And this isn't to say that it didn't happen, but it didn't happen at the level that it probably should have. Otherwise, this problem wouldn't be as big as it is. And it's still ongoing today. So that would be one of the things that I would absolutely make sure changes or could change. Well, and often I think, you know, HR is asked to try to, to, to create policy, to create a framework to, you know, for protection, but then they're also being then asked to turn around and just clean the mess up. And they don't have as much access at times, I think, to, to the larger problem, right? The problem happens and then it's like, well, how come you guys didn't prevent that? It's, you know, instead of right in the middle of it, bringing them in to really, to work for that. So it, every organization is very, very different. Um, but right. the ones where I've seen it fail, where, you know, it's sort of like, well, HR, you're here to set things up and you're here to clean things up, which almost sounds more like you're the janitor than, than, than a leader. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and we're in a tough position because the employees already feel that HR is only there for management and management honestly feels that HR is only there for them. So it's a tough position to be in, and we have to balance the two. And sometimes it might make sense for a company to use an outside firm to come in to assist so that their HR people are not in the middle, if that's possible, and allow an investigation to take place, and then they can go from there. But it's it's a really tough position. It can be done. It has been done. But... You can tell by the numbers of women who've come forth and some men who've come forth and claim sexual harassment that it's not being done enough. There's more that can be done and should be reviewed and considered in this area. What happens with when a more senior level executive steps across that line? And even though policies may be in place, there are some people whose Egos might be a little bigger than policies that human resources just is not able to address. Someone else higher may have to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And the organization has to make sure they have that, the right things in place and that they have the right approach and that they have the right people. And, uh, you know, I've, this is something we talk about a lot with organizations is you not only can you talk about success, but you often have to talk about failure. You have to talk about what would happen if we failed and what would, what are those, what does that look like? What, what would we have missed or have done incorrectly to have gotten to a place where we felt like we failed? And absolutely, it's, it's in those conversations that we sometimes find the gaps, we find the cracks, we find the little issues uh, and realize it's a simple solution for that. It's a simple plan that we can put in place to, to avoid that. But I don't know if it's just human nature. We don't want to think about those things often, right? So, No, we don't. A lot of people don't. A lot of companies don't. And it backfires on them. And I think every company should be because we're talking about a huge expense when you get law firms involved. And it takes a lot of time to resolve these issues. So they should get involved a little bit more. Well, uh, we're just about here out of time. I want to make sure we get you the opportunity to, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you? Sure. They can go to my website, www.thegradygroup, 
www.thegradygroup.hr.com. And I'll say that again, www.thegradygroup.hr.com. Or they can email me at marygradyr at thegradygroup.hr.com. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and we can keep that conversation going. Would love to. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Mary. And we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. We'll bring in my second guest. It's not Mary. It's Marie Ryan. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. We're uh, just finished up with uh, Mary. We had a great little conversation there, and it appears I may have misspoke by saying I thought we had two Marys on the show, but I think I'm slightly off there. We'll go find out where I made my mistake here in a moment, but I think it's uh, it's uh, Murray Ryan, uh, CEO and founder of Advancing Wellness. Uh, as a reminder, don't forget to go to Twitter, follow us at PeopleG2, and follow the hashtag Talent Talk. Also, TalentTalkRadio.com. Make sure you subscribe there or iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. So let's go ahead and bring her in. Welcome to the show today. Thanks, Chris. I'm delighted to be here. And so let's let's put this to rest. How is it? Is it is it Murray or is it? Let me get it. Yeah, this one is always a tricky one. I've gone through like <laughs> spelling and pronouncing my name. It's Mari. Mari. Like okay. Calamari. Mar. There we go. Okay. Well, it's easy in to my, remember that way. It, yeah, it's M A R I. So I probably should have gotten that, but my apologies. So, how are you today? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great, except for my little mess up there. But we'll uh, we'll just we'll move on. So, but like I like the example of calamari. I'll be able to remember that. So. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself besides how to properly say your first name? You know, what's important for us to know about you and your work and, and, and everything about your, your career? Well, I am a workplace well-being strategist. I am also a speaker and an award-winning author. And the work that I'm typically doing with, is with employers, and that work is around helping them create a strategy for the well-being of their workforce. And so how do you do that? I mean, that sounds like, it sounds great, but I mean, it's, um, it sounds like it'd be really hard to do. Well, it's an interesting, you know, it's, uh, it's such fun work in so many ways because I feel like I'm a detective. When I begin an engagement with an employer, we start with an assessment. And this is not unusual in consulting circles. You know, this is an, often the approach that's used. And what I'm really doing is gathering information to create a snapshot of the place from which the organization is functioning today. We look at things like 
their policies, their benefits. We look at the physical workplace. We talk with employees and executives and really get an understanding of what the culture of the organization is like. And we gather both qualitative and quantitative data to really be able to understand where is this organization today? What do they look like? How do they function? What's the culture like? And how do they take care of their people? And from that information, we're then able to work with the uh, team at that or, and that employer to be able to create a strategic plan that really helps them integrate well-being into many elements of the workplace. And again, it might be their policies, their benefits, the physical space, you know, what's that physical space look like and how do people, you know, feel in that workspace? How does it look after their overall well-being? So maybe you could kind of help us understand what's the link between employee well-being and engagement and productivity and commitment. I mean, how, how does this sort of, I guess, round out the an overall approach for an employer that cares about these types of things? Well, most employers today are, in, are certainly concerned about engagement, productivity, and you know, especially in a time where they're really not even seeing many of their workers, their commitment to that organization. And when we think about well-being, we really think about this from the perspective of people being healthy and thriving so that they're not spending time thinking about, oh, this, this, you know, I've got this pain or I've got to go to the doctor or... You know, they're, they're not concerned as much about their physical well-being or even their mental well-being. And as a result, they, you know, when they are thriving, they can be engaged in their work. They can look forward to coming to work each day. They can be productive. They are engaged in collaborating with their, their colleagues. They're more innovative. So when we see that people really feel good and are connected to the purpose and mission of an organization, they are going to be more productive, they're going to be more engaged, and they're more likely to stay with that organization in the long term. Yeah, and and how do you balance the, you know, I guess sometimes organizations struggle with well-being in that there's always something new. There's like a new fad, there's a new idea, there's a new thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, the standing desk was a big one. I heard that so many companies got all these standing desks and then people started complaining their backs hurt from standing all day or their feet hurt. And then, they, <laughs> you know, but some people loved it and some people hated it. And so, you know, companies that dipped their toe in that let people test it and, and try it versus just we're all going to have standing desks now. You know, how, how do you sort of deal with some of that? Well, it's a very common uh, challenge because there's always some new shiny object, new program, new thing that comes along. I'm a firm believer that you have to experiment. You have to try these things because over time, you know, people might have thought, well, you know, I'm not never going to wear one of those Dick Tracy wrist radio message kinds of things. And yet, you know, there's a huge uh, industry that's just targeting, you know, just making those wearable devices. Some of these things are here to stay. And things like standing desks, some people love them, some people hate them. You know, let's give employees the choice. I mean, autonomy is an important aspect of how a person feels cared for in that environment when they're given choices. So I'm a firm believer that we need to experiment. We need to look at these things and see if they work. We also have to do that in the context of what the needs of the workforce are. So do the people in the workforce need support in, you know, certain areas? 
and making sure that we're evaluating and looking at what programs, tools, resources might be available to support them. Right. So I'm all for it. Sign me up. Let's try <laughs> things. Experiment. And then how, how do organizations then maybe create the right culture that supports the well-being of their workforce? I mean, some, some of the things that we've thought about doing or that we do do is you know, we let people choose their own device. They mm-hmm. decide that their own desk and their chair and all of that is, you know, because our people are 100% remote, they have that complete freedom to design that the way they want. We support them in that and allow them, you know, they, they can't buy any computer they want, but within a certain range, we allow them to, you know, choose the one that they like. The keyboard fits the way you know they like to do it, or the screen is as big as they want it to be, or as small as they want it to be sometimes. And so other other ways that we can try to, you know, create a, a culture that is supporting well-being? Well, I think you've You've really given some good examples there of the elements of autonomy, how people can have choice of the things that are going to work for them. We don't really live in a one-size-fits-all world, and yet so many times in a workplace, that's exactly what happens is we get shoehorned into the here's the thing you have to use and you don't have any choice in it. So it's great to hear that you are, you know, giving your employees those kinds of choices. When we're creating culture, what we're really thinking about from the well-being perspective is creating a people-centric organization that demonstrates caring. When we think about, you know, organizational culture, you know, you and I are both familiar with, with these concepts in terms of how we create these in an organization. It's around the norms, the behaviors, the rituals, the assumptions that happen in that workplace. And when you think about just the behaviors alone, let's take that as an example. Chris, have you ever worked in a place where there might have been a bully or it was sort of a toxic workplace? Sure. And what was that like for you? How did you feel in that situation? You know, it's interesting is that I felt, I remember being very exhausted and very stressed Mm -hmm. out, but I didn't realize how bad it was until I left. So, you know, it like it was I didn't realize it was almost like, uh, you know, losing 40 pounds and you realize you've been carrying around this extra weight. You know, it's like but when you quit, you lose it immediately. There wasn't, you know, any hard work. It it wasn't like going on a diet. It was just, uh, you know, you you care about the people, you care about the clients, you care about the organization, maybe. But my this instance, I'm thinking of there was a really terrible new boss that got inserted and just sort go. of made everyone's life difficult. And, you know, once I did, made the decision to leave, it was like, oh, my life is so much better all of a sudden. What a relief. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's exactly what happens. And whether it's as a result of a single boss or whether there's a toxic workplace where there's behaviors that are tolerated that shouldn't be, that are demeaning to, you know, the employees, you know, all of these elements really have an impact, as you just described. Your life got better the day you walked out of that place. That's a direct impact on your well-being. And your your life did get better when you left that job. And it's so much of the, what goes on in the culture with those norms, behaviors, rituals, assumptions, the way we build that culture that can either support and help employees thrive or it can diminish their well-being. So, I mean, how do we then, uh, you know, make sure that uh, from an organizational cultural standpoint that we're influencing well-being correctly? I mean, we, we could have parts of the organization where it's working and we could have, you know, particularly, 
you know, high performing team or maybe a team with a very demanding boss or whatever. And there can be, I guess, ebbs and flows of where, how that's working. So is there, is there kind of a desired approach to ensure that it's happening? Well, I think it's important to really understand that, especially in larger organizations, there are microcultures. You know, there's these subcultures that exist. It might be by department or even by, you know, based on a manager. And it's hard to have, you know, everything work perfectly in every organization. But I think it's important to really help managers. You know, managers play such a key role in creating the environment and the culture in the workplace that supports and encourages employees to thrive. We want to be supporting those managers and making sure that they, in turn, are feeling supported and thriving. And when everyone feels that, then you're going to have the kind of organization where when resources and programs and initiatives are brought forth that support employee well-being, everyone's going to want to be part of that because they know that that is going to be helping everyone. And it helps, you know, just helps in ways that everyone feels. We can really remember that there are those micro cultures happening in there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the best thing we can do is to have them all running and aligning with the master culture, right? The overarching culture. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're, I guess, you know, aligned, then it works. Uh, it doesn't work when it's when they're not aligned. It, it oh, kind of gets sure. then into into the relationships that we have inside of organizations, you know. Uh, maybe what are, what, what's the relationships that you think are helping a thriving organization really you know, get to its correct business results? Well, I think, you know, when we think about a thriving organization, there's a number of characteristics about that. You know, there's there's healthy, you know, what we might consider to be a healthy organization. The health of an organization can be measured in a lot of ways. You know, we typically think of that in financial terms. But when we think about the relationship to business results, What we see is that there is increasing research that shows that organizations that care for their people, where their people are thriving, have higher levels of engagement, and as a result of having higher levels of engagement, they're going to have higher productivity, lower turnover, they're going to be able to attract the kind of talent that they want. And this research actually shows that there's a direct impact to the bottom line. Well, and maybe you can talk about that more. I mean, so is the, to the bottom line because we're saving money? Is it because we're finding new ways to make money? Is it some combination of the both? Well, it's a number of things. I think it's, it's tied to productivity. It's tied to the, you know, the cost savings could be seen in reducing turnover. The engagement of your employees is going to, you know, think about the relationship between the employees and your customers. Right. Mm-hmm. You've, we've all had and we've all told the stories about bad customer experiences and we've all told the stories about good customer experiences. Our good customer experiences are based on our interactions with employees. And when those employees are there thriving in their work, committed to their, their work and to the customers, that directly translates into bottom line. That's brand loyalty. Those are the kinds of things that directly impact how a company can grow and thrive. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's so important that we, we do this in the right way and that we realize what the, the benefits can be. I mean, we, we, we certainly have seen this. Companies that focus on their culture, you know, outperform, and have higher, higher productivity, higher profits, higher performance. We, we see organizations that have a higher levels of diversity, 
uh, and especially diversity of thought, right? We're getting different types of people across the organization, especially in the leadership positions. They're outperforming them. Uh, and then certainly organizations where they've taken a real commitment to well-being and are taking care of their people in the right way, they're outperforming. And so what what do you think is stopping people then from, from doing more of this? <laughs> That's a great question, Chris. I think um could be a couple of things. So I'd say it might be short-sightedness. People just aren't seeing the connection between healthy, thriving people and those happy customers and therefore the bottom line. They may just not be educated about that. And I think also, you know, we're living in a time where there's a lot of distractions right now. We're dealing with economic downturn. We're dealing with a major public health crisis throughout the world. And it's really hard sometimes to think further than the ground that you can see in front of your feet. And for, for many organizations, they're just, you know, they're, they're in that tactical, what are we doing next, where do we have to focus next kind of mentality. And sometimes we need to stop and step back and take a bigger view. We need to look a little further out, and we need to make sure that the steps we're taking today are going to lead us to a place where we can be sure that we're creating cultures where people are cared for and where they will thrive. Because otherwise, we're just going to get stuck in the the focusing on the the short term and really not be able to be fully prepared for the long term. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think sometimes it's a matter of organizations just focusing on, and they'll spend money on anything they think will make them money, um, but they often don't spend money on things that are, you know, training, that are investments, that are softer, that don't show an immediate, you know, place on on, on the P&L. But long term, we know they do. Um, right. I guess that's, and you're right. That's, this is an investment. This is a, that's yeah. exactly what it is, is. This is an investment. Well, you know, it looks like we're get, almost getting down here to the end. I want to make sure that we uh, ask you the important question, which is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and your work if they're interested in, in finding out? Well, they can find me on my company's website. The company name is Advancing Wellness, and our website is at advwellness.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Mari Ryan. And don't forget, Mari, it's M-A-R-I. Uh, don't make the mistake I did earlier in the show, but hopefully <laughs> uh, they can type it incorrectly, even if I can't pronounce it correctly. They can find you and can get help with uh, all their wellness needs, and I hope that they can check out your uh, you and your organization. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Hopefully we can have you come back and give us an update on everything that you and your organization is doing to help other companies. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to All be right. here. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. Hopefully you've gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.